listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible. Open up with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm calling today's message, When You Go to the House of God. And what we have before us today, I want to just be upfront with you, is a very internally revealing and reflective passage. So in this passage, we're going to look at the first seven verses today, and we're going to stop at verse 7. Uh, and, and we're going to get a, li- a list of what you need to do when you go to the house of God. So in one sense, it's very applicational, right? And there's not only going to be what you should be doing, there's going to be a lot of what you should not be doing. <laughs> we're going to see some very specific red flags that should be red flags to you when you go to the house of God. Uh, but not only that, I would say that when you take the truths of this passage and you start to personalize them, you're going to actually start to see why so many people don't find themselves in the house of God on Sunday morning. It's going to become very apparent why so many people aren't here that should be here. And I'm not talking about the people who can't be here because of external circumstances. Maybe they're sick. Maybe there's something going on very pressing in their life that they haven't, they haven't been here in the house of God on the Lord's day. Uh, but there's a lot of people who, who really should, and, and they have not made it a priority. There's a lot of people who at one point in their life participated in church who have faded off. They're no longer active and involved in a local church. They've fallen away. There's others who have been hurt by people in the church who now want nothing to do with God because of what they have experienced. Those are people who completely misunderstand God often and and even the church and what we're doing here. Now, there's a whole other demographic of people who just think the church is horribly off and unloving and judgmental, and they think they are better than those people who go to church, and they dislike the church. Um, It's a very, very sad place to be, and it's a tragic place to be. You may know people who are in that category, and and it's all you can do is love them and pray for them and share whatever truth you can if you can share it. But the sober reality of it is there are people, even in this room today, who if you do not see the truth that's laid out here in Ecclesiastes 5, you are going to one day find yourself in one of those three categories. Even people here today. I've seen it happen more than I care to admit. And the reasons why are found right here in the text this morning. So not only is this text about you when you go to the house of God, it's also about how your spiritual worship affects others. We're going to see all of that. It's, It's showing us why people fall away from church, why people misunderstand the church, and why people even dislike the church. So follow along with me as I read our text this morning. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. 
for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has put, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you, excuse me, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So not only is this text about you when you go to the house of God, not only is this about why people fall away, but there's a lot here for us to dive into. Over the last few chapters, Solomon has been going down various avenues, right? Uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, we saw there is, a, there is a season for everything, and God has made everything perfect in its time. He's talking about just the, just the fact that we cannot understand everything and control everything. We can't make everything great when we want it to be great. We just can't do that. But God is working. Last week, we, we, we took a, you know, a different path. We talked about the catalog of loneliness, all the different lonely people out there, and, and really highlighted how a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's vital to have strong relationships with other people who love Jesus, who you can actually do life with, right? And now we're taking a completely different path here in Ecclesiastes 5, and it's as if Solomon has parked himself at church, He's at the assembly. He's at the, he's at the house of God. And he actually observes, observes the comings and the goings of all the crowds in the place of worship. Honestly, this is probably his temple that he built. I mean, this is a very elaborate, amazing temple, house of worship. But the people there and the motives behind what the people are doing and even the actions behind what the people are doing, when Solomon looks at this, He's, he's not happy. <laughs> he sees something is off. It come, becomes very apparent to him that all is not well. And have, as we have seen so many times in this series, there is nothing new under the sun. This book that was written 3,000 years ago is just as relevant as anything you could possibly ever pick up and read today. So the observational feelings are pretty obvious here. Solomon has some very serious concerns with the people who have gathered for worship. And what he's highlighting is that the people in the house of God seem to have forgotten why they are there and who they are there for. And here you are, rainy, rainy morning, you woke up early, you're in the house of God, and you're in the crosshairs. <laughs> you're welcome. Here, thanks, God. I, here I am. I'm, I'm doing my best to be here. Well, this is for all of us today, every single one of us. Um, so I have three points. The first point is from the first verse. The second point is ver from verses two through six. And the last point is going to be from the very last verse. All three of these points build off of each other. 
The first point starts with your heart. From there, we're going to delve into your soul that is reflected by what comes out of your mouth and then conclude with your mind, the way you think. So to begin, first of all, today, number one, examine your motives. It's what we all need to start with. Look at verse one again with me. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. I mean, when I hear Solomon right here saying this, it's just like, even to a pastor, this is like a punch to the face. I mean, does anybody just feel like, wow, he's going after me? It's like this guy is wearing sunglasses indoors. I mean, he's just taking names, calling out, taking shots at people. Uh, these are people who were at church gathered to worship God, right? But Solomon doesn't like what he sees. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So what he's implying here is that these people have gathered in the house of God, but they're not, not actually there to hear from God. They're there for a variety of other reasons. And then he says, they don't even know that they are doing evil. So there's no joking going on right now. The stakes have been raised. Now, I told you to personalize this, right? There's a lot of reasons why you could be here today. There's a lot of good reasons. There's some bad reasons too. But if you want to step back for a second, I dare say the majority of people, majority of people, across our country who gather to worship God on Sunday, I have serious doubts that very many of those people are doing it with the right motives. And you may be like, wow, David, seriously, you're going to go there too and get all negative on us and start downing other churches? Like, here's why I say that. Just look at the fruit. Look at the, the spiritual state of our nation. Okay, even in Christian homes, people who who claim to know God, look at look at their life the other six days of the week. What's going on in our world? So are people do you think we're closer to what 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 Solomon is describing in, in verse one? Or do you think we're way better than that? Well, let's examine the fruit, right? So there's a lot of churches that are full. It's good on the surface. But they can be full. They can be full of people. They can be full of experiences and emotion and, and, and good feelings and great vibes that last for a couple hours. You can have all of that and still be there for the wrong core reason. There's a lot of different religions with the label of Christianity that are nothing but a man-centered show. So Solomon calls all of that the sacrifice of fools. Now, let's stop talking about other churches and, let, and let's talk about the people inside of them. And, and that's the only way to really analyze your own heart. Why are you, as an individual, why are you here? Because we don't want to be one of those churches that just checks the boxes, makes, makes a big ado about nothing, and like, all right, great, I did that. Went to church. Examine your motives. And uh, to help you do this, 
I made a list, all right? And I made this list because I'm a human too. And I have to admit, there's been periods of my life where I've gone to church, been there every single Sunday with the wrong motives and for the wrong reasons. This is, this is a very common struggle that has been around from the very beginning, all the way back to Solomon's temple, okay? But here's the list. I mean, look, look, I want you to look at this. Four bad reasons why people actually go to church. You can put a list up there on the screen. Number one is to please people. Well, you know, my mother will really cook a really nice lunch if, if the whole family goes and makes her happy. You know, happy wife, happy life, you know. Whatever it is, you're, you're trying to just make that person happy so you can have a better life. And there's a thousand ways that that can play out, a thousand different ways. Number two is to impress other people so you look better. Look at me serving. Look at me. You know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a man of God. I'm here. I'm sharp. I, you know, I'm going to get a girlfriend. Like, the, Again, a thousand different ways that you can try to impress people by going to church. Benefiting yourself? I mean, do you benefit your life? Is your life better when you actively participate in a community of Christ? Absolutely, right? Of course. I mean, your, your kids are learning about Christ. It's easier to discipline. I mean, there's so many benefits to not just society, but your, your own life when you're actually involved in a local church. So, of course, that's a nice icing on the cake. But if the reason you're going is just so, yeah, my business can grow because I can make a whole bunch more business contacts, contacts. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll mingle with some more people over here. I'll be able to get you know this on my resume. That'll sound good. I'm sorry, but a lot of people do church for that reason. Number four is to feel better about yourself. You feel guilty. You feel shame. The reason I need to go is, wow, I just need a, I need to pick me up. I need an encouraging word. And wow, I, I feel so much better now that I'm doing this. And, and, and yeah, let me just pat myself on the back. I, I am such a good person because I'm at church. All of these are bad reasons to go to church, yet all of these are, re let's be real. That's why a lot of people go to church. What is missing in all of these four reasons? Anybody see it? Yeah, God, Jesus. How about worshiping your creator who gave you breath and gave you life? Where's he at on that list? You have to be honest with yourself. Why are you really here? Are you here to hear from God? To listen to him? Are you here to hear yourself talk? And to look good in doing it. Impress people or, or, or control people. And I hate to say this, but every single church I have ever been a part of has these types of people in them. Uh, people who are there to better themselves and to get a platform and to get a following. Every single time those people eventually have a conflict with someone else in the church or leadership, and, and they don't last. 
They move on to another church usually. Um, I mean, here's another one that I didn't even mention in this list, that you could, but you could easily deduct it is some people are a part of a church community and they love to serve. And serving, of course, using your spiritual gifts, pouring out and serving, that's a great thing. But they elevate that so high on the bar that it's about how, oh, this is my ministry and this is what I'm doing for this person. This is what I'm doing for everybody else. And before you know it, you forget to hear from God because it's just, it's just about what you're doing for the next person and, and what you have to accomplish and what we have to get done. And here, a good thing, right? The church should be out there ministering to the needs of other people. But if you forget that you are supposed to be here gathered on Sunday to worship Jesus Christ, you're completely missing it. You're doing something good that God will still use, but it's going to bear bad fruit over time. So let's get specific here for a minute. How do you guard your steps? How do you prepare your heart <coughs> for worship? Do you realize you need to do that? You need to guard your steps to prepare yourself for Sunday morning? It's like, think of it this way. I mean, I went, you know, back when I lived in Colorado, I went on a lot of hikes. I don't hike as much as I want to anymore. Like maybe when my kids are older, we'll hike more often. But we would go on these hikes called 14ers, all right? You're at 14,000 feet elevation, way up there, way up there. I mean, this is like the most extreme hiking you can do in the United States, pretty much. And I remember one summer, it was me and a bunch of college friends. We went on this hike on a 14er. And it was one of those where you would go up 14,000 feet. Then you'd go down like maybe 12,000, 11,000 feet. And then you'd go back up. And we did three 14ers in the same day. We were like, yeah, look at us. Like, this feels great. Like, we, I mean, we, we, I was tired, but it felt good. And, you know, it was a great accomplishment. Like, yes, let's do it again. So a few weeks later, it was like, all right, let's do this other one. Mount Democrat. I'll never forget Mount Democrat. All right, it was a 14er. And we're like, yeah, we're just going to do one. Has anybody ever climbed Mount Democrat by chance? Anyone? Okay, this is in Colorado. And uh, I was not prepared at all. As a matter of fact, I was like, oh, yeah. I just did three 14ers in one day, not that long ago. I got this. So I stayed up late. Um, you know, I was, supposed to get, I was supposed to wake up at like 5 a.m., you know, and, and get out there like 5.30, and we were going to drive over. Because you, you, you have to arrive early in these things because storms can come in the day. And I remember I stayed up late, woke up at the last second. I was like, oh, no, I got to grab something. I, like, had some leftover KFC in the refrigerator, threw that in a Ziploc bag, saw a half gallon of chocolate milk, took that. And, uh, and I had nothing else. I wasn't prepared. I was wearing, like, Vans, you know. Like, I was completely unprepared for this hike. I accomplished it. I got to the top of the mountain and back down. But I'm telling you, I have never been more just absolutely wiped in my entire life at the end. I just lay down for 30 minutes because my legs were like shaking when I got down from the mountain. I was that physically just drained. Why was Democrat, Mount Democrat so much harder than the other ones? It's easy, right? It's because I didn't prepare at all. I was completely unprepared going into that. Climb. People wonder, you know, I showed up for church and yeah, I didn't really feel anything. You know, it was like, whatever. And like, have you prepared your heart at all? 
A lot of people think they can, they can spend the entire week doing whatever they want to do, working themselves ragged in their free time, you know, investing in all their other hobbies, running around everywhere. You know, you're super busy. Saturday night, stay up late, whatever it is. And then you think, I can just wake up and show up on Sunday morning as a spirit-filled worshiper. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. It never works that way. You have to prepare your heart, guard your steps to when you entered the house of God, you were coming here to have an encounter with God, to receive truth from God, God's word, to have an experience with him, to worship him. This is an important thing that we're doing here. This is, this is absolutely commanded by God to gather to worship him. And when we live our life so busy and so haphazard, and I know, some, I mean, life can be crazy, right? I was talking with Julie this morning. We're getting ready to go. I mean, she was in Detroit with her family. There was a family funeral, and it was a very, very busy week. Julie's exhausted. But she rested up the last two days as much as she possibly could with still four little kids running around the house because we know Sunday is coming, and we want to worship God on Sunday. So thank you, Julie, for caring and looking at it that way. I, I had another story from, from Colorado that I thought of, too, uh, in, in regard. I got, I got to thinking about Colorado back in my days of living there. But uh, I was in a college campus ministry. It was called Cross Impact. So we would go to college campuses. We'd have Bible studies with people. We'd, we'd evangelize. It was, it was really great. But, you know, we met this one guy and invited him to church. He started coming to church for a little bit. And one Sunday, he was at church. And I mean, he had come like, you know, six weeks in a row. He wasn't, he wasn't a believer, but he was very curious about our faith in Christianity. And I was like, wow, you look a little tired this morning. He's like, yeah, yeah, I am actually. Uh, stayed up all night. Oh, what? You stayed up all night? Yeah, I, I was at a rave in the woods in Boulder. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, so you just stayed up all night at a rave and now you're here. <laughs> Good for you. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here, right? You made it. Yes. And I mean, it was so striking to me that here's a, here's a non-believer who's so curious that he still found a way to come to church in the morning, right? But here we are as Christians, and in many times it's like, uh, I'm just not feeling it today. Um, that's sad. But you also have the fact that, um, spiritually speaking and internally, a lot of us show up to church spiritually starving. It's almost as if you've spent all night dancing in the, in the woods. <laughs> you haven't prepared at all. There, there's, you're spiritually starving because for six days the last six days, it's been about my agenda, my, my career, uh, my goals, my aspirations. Everything has about, been about you, 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 you. So it's really hard to just flip that switch on Sunday and not make, about, make it about you too. It makes Sunday for God because you haven't prepared. It's like you're spiritually malnourished. And, and then it's like, you know, when somebody's that malnourished, good, healthy food right in front of them, they, they can't even eat it. They can hardly even like, ah, I, I can't even have that. No, it doesn't, even, it doesn't even look appealing to them because they're so malnourished, right? 
Now, I told you all of these points build off of each other. And as you examine yourself, there's a really good indicator of where your heart is. <clears throat> Remember when Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? Uh, there's a lot of people who don't come to the house of God to listen. They come to the house of God to talk. They live their life not to hear from God, but they, they, they actively and practically speaking run their mouth all the time, talk all the time, and because they like to be heard. Well, watch out for that kind of person as we're going to see. Here's the second point. Number two, think before you speak. This is verses two through six. And there's a lot going on in these verses. I could spend a lot of time here. I almost made this point worship before you speak. That might have even been better. So as we get into this, you can decide yourself what, what you would make the outline to say. But look at verse two again. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are, you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Solomon is the same guy who in Proverbs said, a fool utters all his heart. That's a very foolish thing to do. Whatever pops into your head, I'm going to say it. I think this person needs to hear what I have to say about this. I'm going to jump in there and insert myself and say that. That's a foolish person, according to Solomon. I mean, we've all been around these people, right? If you're in school, I remember in school, you're, there, there's always a couple of those people in every class. I mean, teachers know this. <laughs> Try to help your kids with this, right? Like, they're kids. But, you're right, teachers, you, you, know, you know the type that cannot stop talking, right? I, I mean, you can be at the neighborhood pool, and there's, there's a mom talking nonstop. They never stop talking. I mean, they're not talking about bad things. They're talking to their kid. They're talking to her. They're talk but they just don't know when to not talk. Now that you have that person in mind, I want you to think about that in regards to spirituality. Now, because we're specifically addressing talking to God and talking about God, right? So ask yourself, are you flippant in what you say to God? Or in what you say about God? Now, there are times in Scripture, don't get me wrong here, don't, don't, don't misunderstand. There are times in Scripture where we have heart cry prayers, where you just are calling out to God with questions. I've been there. I'm sure many of you had. Like, so I'm not saying God doesn't want to hear from you, and, and he knows your heart much better than you even know your own heart, right? But the difference is, are, are you just so in into yourself in, your, in what you think and what you think needs to be said right now that you have to just say it all about God to that person? Do you think you know better? Verse four talks about trivial vows. And, and here's another one that, <laughs> how many of you have made a vow before God this week? I mean, I th when you read this, it's kind of like, wow, this is more of like, a dated, almost like ancient thing. I mean, this is not very common in 21st century American Christianity to vow a vow before God. We've, we've gotten away from some of that 
maybe, right? Not, I, don't, I don't think many of us do. I talk to a lot of Christians, and I don't hear people talking about vowing vows to God very often. It's almost like a foreign concept. But here's what we see in Scripture. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you make that commitment that I am now not going to live my own life for me anymore, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You are my creator. You are my sustainer. You are, the, you are the one who has given me freedom from my sin and the bondage that I once lived in, and now I'm going to give it all for you. You've, you've in effect, made a vow before God. When you have actually committed to say, I'm going to be a member of a church, or when you said, I'm going to actually participate in this ministry opportunity, I'm going to serve here, I'm going to be there for other people, what have you been doing? I mean, that, that truly is, whether you want to believe it or not, like that's making a vow before God to some extent, correct? So if you don't make any vows at all, if you're not making any commitments and putting yourself out there and taking things seriously, what does that say about your relationship with God? I have to, I have to ask another question. Are you a consumer or are you a worshiper? And again, going back to the broader, broader church out there, right? The broader church that has pretty weak fruit. Is it full of consumers or worshipers? Are they going to church because they have all these, these amazing programs? And we have this nice little sanitized version of, of uh Fall festival, not, not to say we shouldn't be having fall festivals. That's just the first example that came to my mind, right? You can make Christian events, Christian schools. You, know, you can have all of those things and offer all of those amazing things to people which God can use, and we do those ourselves. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But very easily, you can slip into consuming that and forgetting, wait a minute, I made a vow before God that I would actually give my life to him. He is my life. I'm here to worship him. I'm here to actually serve others and love others in a way that he has loved me. So that should be the reason you're here, to worship God, not to be a consumer. And I would say also with, with good times, with prosperity, it's, it's automatic. You're going to have more consumerism. It's one of the greatest temptations that we face here. You know, we're not being persecuted to the point where we have to go run out and gather in the woods and, and worship God so we're, not, so, so we're not breaking the law. We don't have to do that. We're not there yet, thankfully. So, so yeah, there are a lot of benefits. There are a lot of churches to choose from. You can very easily slip into what's in it for me, how is this benefiting me, rather than I'm here to worship Jesus Christ. I'm here because of my Savior. And I'm here to worship God. Now, you don't need to vow a vow to God to appease him and, and not offend him. Uh, this, is, this is where a lot of people, I think, have gotten away from this terminology because that's wrong, too, clearly. I remember, I remember one time when I was in high school, and uh, I look back on this. I, I, I don't even remember what it was that I, I, was, I was watching, but I remember I was in high school I lost the contact, and I have, like, gas-permeable contacts, so it's, like, not so. I'm, like, probably one of the only people in America who still wear these contacts. But I've had my contacts for, like, nine years. 
and uh, they're like $50 a piece, but they last forever. And, and I lost one when I was in high school, and it was like, oh, my word, no. I lost my contact. It bounced somewhere in the bathroom. I had been hunting it for like an hour. I remember just praying to God, God, I will not. And I don't remember what the TV show was, but I just remember it was a TV show that I knew I shouldn't have been watching. You know, there were some scantily clad women, and I was watching it for the wrong reasons. And I was in high school. I remember it was, I was convicted, and I remember saying to God, I will never ever watch that show again, please stop punishing me and just help me find my contact. <laughs> that, that was high school David right there. That's not how God works, okay? That's not, God doesn't punish you because you did something that you shouldn't be doing. So I have to vow a vow to God to appease him. Like, no, that is the ancients. That, that is false religion, okay? We're not talking about that. God loves you. And, and God doesn't, punish you if you were if you were a christian right god disciplines the ones he loves which is different than punishing because jesus took our punishment on the cross our punishment has been laid on jesus christ and the punishment the wages of sin is death jesus took our punishment so we now receive life. We have the gift of, of freedom. And now that we have that, yes, he will discipline you from time to time. If you're going astray, he's going to correct you and get you back on the right path. But he's never going to punish you because if you know Jesus Christ, he took your punishment on the cross. But yes, we need to think before we speak. Yes, we need to worship before you speak. And uh, when you grow close to God, you commit yourself more to him. You sacrifice. And that's, that's just like what anybody would do when you love. When you love your family, you sacrifice for them. Now, remember, from the very beginning, Solomon said here, draw near to God, to draw near and to listen. And, and, I'll, and I'll finish this point by saying, you know, going into another avenue here that that you may not directly see in the passage, but as I've prayed about it and meditated and studied on this passage, it's where I just, the Lord kept leading me to go this direction. Um, because this is a message about internalizing where you were at. And if you want to step back with me for a second, sadly, one of the reasons the church has so many people that are turned off to the church is because we, we are filled with people who do more talking than listening. And they, they're not really all about hearing from God. They're really about saying what they've learned about God and, and telling other people what they think that person needs to hear about God rather than just pointing them to God and allowing them to listen to God. Have you ever wondered why some, some people just rub you the wrong way? They have a lot to say, but they never seem to help you. It's because... It's not only what you say, but how much you say that reveals what's inside your heart. Measuring your words. This is one of those things that doesn't get preached about very often, does it? So let's get into like the psychology of, of really what Solomon is laying out here. Up to this point, you could definitely say this point has been worship before you speak. But here's why you could call it think before you speak. Because running your mouth and saying whatever you feel like, whenever you feel it, is a problem and it lacks reverence for God. Let's put it in a broader scope. 
And, and, and like, this is it's really how this chapter started, right? To listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of, of fools. So one of the things that Solomon, I would say Solomon is fed up with, is the overly spiritual person who has to insert themselves into every conversation and has to have an answer to every issue. The person who constantly dishes out unsolicited spiritual advice. You know, have you felt that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come across these kind of people? Now, obviously, you don't want to be this person. Sometimes it's very subtle and, and hard to see because this type of person usually has some type of following. But over time, there's a pattern that emerges. They don't have enduring, long-lasting relationships, or very few of them. They get really close with people. They, like, they're the self-anointed counselor of this person or the discipleship mentor, if you want to use like a really spiritual churchy word for it. And there's a lot of talking, not a lot of listening. There's a lot of human advice, opinionated advice and counsel, but not a lot of pointing to Jesus Christ and letting the Spirit lead. And I bring this up because once you start seeing this, you can't unsee it. The unsolicited advice giver, the unwanted life advice coach. It is a problem in the church. And what is the root of this problem? I would say it's pride. The root of this is spiritual pride. Wherever they go, they make it more about themselves than they do about the other person. They make it more about themselves than they do about just simply pointing them to Jesus Christ. Another overtalker is the person who has to insert themselves in every conversation, even when, even when they're not even really a part of that conversation. They're always hovering. And there's this like subtle desperation to fit in and be wanted and to be considered valuable so they can't help themselves. You know, they jump into conversation and they have to start talking. A lot of times this person will even create a problem so it's not even really an issue, okay? Like everybody's fine. Everybody's, you know, getting their, getting their job done. They come in, oh, hey, you know what? We can't do this. We, like, this, this is going to be a problem. And they almost create an imaginary problem, stir things up themselves so they can insert themselves into the situation and be the rescuer. And what all, I mean, the way you see that is because this person really has to talk and talk some more and, 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 and talk it out and figure it out. This person is often very high strung, wound tight, and they'll have times where they just break down. What is, what is the root of that? Where is that coming from? It comes from insecurity. That's an insecure person. Maybe you have a few people coming to mind on these two. I mean, I don't want you to just think about other people, though. I want you to think about yourself. Do you see any of that in yourself? And if you do, what can you do about it? 
What is the solution to both insecurity and to pride? It's actually the same solution. It's exactly what Solomon points to in verse 7. Look at it with me. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Point three today, fear God. Underline, underline that fear. God is the one whom you must fear. You should seriously underline that in your Bible. The fear of God is one of the major themes in this book, and it's really the first time that, that Solomon has pointed it out. And this is foreshadowing chapter 12, where, where Solomon is going to conclude this is the end of the matter. Fear God is right there. But here we are halfway through this, this book, and he's saying ultimately the main reason we gather to worship is because we fear God. The solution to pride and to, and to insecurity is also a holy, reverent fear of God. And again, we just talked about Fear of God isn't, oh, no, God's going to punish me. I mess up. I do wrong. Whooshah, he's going to be after me. It's not, that's not who God is. That's a distortion. It's not, it's not reality of who God is. God loves you. I mean, he, he is there with open arms, ready and willing for you to turn to him. And he is going to run out to you, just like the father did in the story of the lost son, right? The prodigal son. There, there's God running after him with grace and mercy in his eyes. So we don't need to be afraid that God is going to just take me out. If, if, your, if your faith and your Christianity is based on fear rather than love, it's going to be a button up that top button, straighten up and do right. It's going to be very, it's going to be very legalistic, Okay. And it's going to cause a lot of problems. Kids rebel with that kind of parenting, with that, with that kind of presentation of God. It's a false presentation of God. But God disciplines those whom he loves. Okay? And when we understand that God is in heaven and we are on earth, <laughs> we're down here where there's a season for everything and unfortunately there's a lot of sin that, that clouds and murks things up, right? There's a lot of problems that we're dealing with down here. We don't always have the right motives. None of us do. Every single person, I mean, I, hope, I know we're all being convicted today, myself included, because every single person in this room has shades of bad motives from time to time, right? That's why we're here focusing on the worship of Christ above all. But when you see who God is, what he has done for you, that eliminates pride, because I didn't save myself. Not at all. I was hopeless. I was helpless. But he came for me. It also eliminates insecurity. Because I don't have to impress that person. I don't have to be the be-all, end-all. That, that, that person wants me to be this perfect image of myself. None of us are there, right? None of us have arrived at that. You, you can be a flawed person who is a worshiper of God and God can lift you up out of the pit, just like we sang about, right? 
So when you fear God, you realize, wow, I don't have it all together. God still loves me. And I'm secure in that. He is faithful to me when I'm not even faithful. So I'm not going to beat myself up over this. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to confess. I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to move forward. God shows us grace despite our own failures. So as you personalize this, and we're going to close, we're going to wrap this up here, but you don't just need to have your heart full of information so I can go to church and I can share it with others and so they can straighten up and do right. Instead, when you fear God, it's, Let me pray for them. Let me show them grace. You know, grace upon grace so they know that I'm a safe person. And when when God has worked in their heart and they have hit rock bottom, they have someone to go to and they know they can go to me. That's so much better than just inserting yourself in there and giving that unsolicited counsel on how they have to think about God right now. Instead of trying to impress people and say all the right things and do everything, you know, I got I to gotta be impressive like my older sister or I have to like be like that guy over there who's got everything going for him and step out of his shadow. No, it's I know who I am in Christ. I'm a child of the king. He knows me by name. And even if people don't understand me, I have confidence through Christ that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he knows my heart. So when you fear God, you worship God. Worship team, you can come up here. We're going to sing in just a second. But before we sing, I want you to be real with yourself. Who are you? And why have you gathered here today? in the house of God this morning. You've listened with your ears. Now it's time to block out all the other people around you, all the people that may have popped in your head today. I want you to eliminate all those names. That person who talks way too much. And I want you to look inwardly. Look at your own heart. You should be here to worship God. And yes, there are so many other things that you can do. But first and foremost, we're here because of Jesus Christ. We're here because he loves us. He died for us. He sacrificed his life on the cross. And relationships are great. Having friendships that are strong because of the threefold cord is vital. Our life groups are talking about that right now. You know, like our church is in a transitionary period. Like our our life group had a great conversation about how it's so important to stay connected right now and and to be vigilant about that. Find a way to do that, whether it's with your serve team or your life group. You know, this Northgate has been so gracious to have us here and I mean, to open their doors. We, and last week, it was so great. Last week, we, I noticed we stayed way longer talking and fellowshipping. We didn't just rush out right away, and, and, and we need more of that. That was awesome. But that's that's an amazing aspect of being here, but it's not the number one reason why we're here. If you know Jesus Christ, you're here because Jesus 
saved you. And you're here to worship him. Getting your kids to church, great idea. I was reading this week about the generational fade, how if you don't value church community and putting yourself faithfully in a local church, if you don't value that and you let sports or you let like your, your travel arrangements or you let any other good thing get in the way of your commitment to Christ's body, your kids are going to pick up on that. And they're not going to value church as much as they should. And then what's going to happen to their generation? It only takes a couple generations for the light to completely go out. There's a million benefits and blessings of putting yourself into the house of God, investing relationally in the body of Christ. But there's a lot of good reasons that can be the enemy of the best reason. And the best reason is worshiping God. So don't let pride get in the way. Don't let your own knowledge get in the way. Don't let your own insecurities get in the way or impressing people get in the way. Make a vow before God that you are going to worship Him above everything else. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.